Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are, are you done with, with the maneuverings? Because you've done a lot thus far. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're, we're completely done. Uh, but we'll be opportunistic on the things that we're, we're able to do. Hopefully there'll be a couple a couple things that get announced in the, in the near future. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of the moves are going to be on the margins um, right now and kind of rounding out um, some of the, the, the main acquisitions that we've made this far. The, the introductory press conference for Correa was postponed yesterday uh, as reports came out that there were some things in his physical, uh, some undisclosed medical concerns arose during that examination. Uh, and then the next thing you know, the Mets swoop in, the Dodgers checked in, and the Mets end up getting Carlos Correa to an agreement for a 12-year, $315 million contract, uh, giving up the 13-year, $350 million deal that Correa had made with the San Francisco Giants. And so something came up in the physical. We've known that the back has been an issue for some period of time for Correa. It's been out there. He's got to do so much to get himself ready every day to go out and take the field. Uh, and the Giants doctors raised a red flag that obviously threw a monkey wrench in the deal. Now, whether they were going to try to renegotiate some part of it uh, is unclear. But whatever happened, the Mets swoop in. They get the deal done. Scott Boris and Correa pivot quickly. And rather than try to negotiate with the Giants, they take the offer from the Mets, and the Mets, holy cow, are you kidding me? The Mets get Carlos Correa. They spent $800 million this offseason alone. The Mets spent $800 million. Steve Cohen uh, is just absolutely taking over baseball right now. And and without regard for payroll, for budgets, for luxury tax, uh, you know, competitive balance tax, nothing. He is absolutely dominating the offseason the Mets get Carlos Correa amazing how did you uh, how did you break this thing and give us what you know yeah Steve Cohen was at dinner I was probably around six o'clock um, having some drinks and enjoying his vacation and uh, obviously that deal with San Francisco for 350 million and 13 years fell through Harold's absolutely right. yes <laughs> Harold's absolutely right in four or five hours they were able to get this done we're Scott Boris and Steve Cohn, and it's uh, 15 million, 12 years. As we know, Cohn got in late, lamented that fact. He told me at, uh, for a story at the New York Post that he was really uh, upset to have gotten in late on Correa. That's the guy he really wanted. And I did speak to him again last night, and he said uh, that this is the piece that they needed, that uh, they fe- he felt that they needed one more offensive piece, and this was the guy, and so he's willing to do what it takes. He was hoping, expecting to be 285, 290 million, maybe 300 million tops. So he went a little bit over that, but as he said, uh, what's an extra 3%? Uh, this is a move we needed to make.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Thursday, December the 22nd, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, you didn't think I came to you in between after I signed off for the holidays, after we basically said, all right, you know, Kodai Senga, we'll get into that. You know, all right, Adam Adovino signing. Billy Epler says they're going to go around the margins. Maybe there's a Conforto in the future. Brandon Drury, you know, goes to Anaheim. And you didn't think I was going to sign on today to talk about Danny Mendick or the fact that the Mets dumped some salary, very little salary, to get rid of James McCann. But, I mean, wow. I mean, I, I wanted to actually come to you like this time yesterday morning. I'm rubbing sleep out of my eye. I'm coming to you very early here on a Thursday morning as, I mean, look, um, there are times in, you know, Mets history, transformative times or times that you remember transactionally. Let's let's talk about off the field. Let's not talk about on the field transformative events. There are moves, transactions that you remember. You remember where you were. You remember – this scenario, because how transformative they were in the course of the franchise history. Think about that. Some of the fans who are around a little longer, for a bad reason, remember Tom Seaver and the Tom Seaver trade. Some of you remember Keith Hernandez trade or the Gary Carter trade. For me, it was a little bit too young for all of those. I remember the Mike Piazza trade. I remember being on the Van Wick Expressway hearing Mike and the Mad Dog and how excited I got. And how it transformed and breathed life into the organization at the very early time of the Bobby Valentine era. I remember when they signed Pedro Martinez and how important that was, a risky contract at the time, but how important that was to start the Omar Minaya era. And how that led, or that was the first shot at the bow, where two months later, they have probably the biggest signing during the Omar Minaya era which was Carlos Beltran, a courtship that lasted well over 30 days. I think there was something like 40-something days where Tony Bernazard called Carlos Beltran's camp every day. So I remember that, the Carlos Beltran trade uh, signing. And although Carlos Correa may not be A-Rod, and I'm not sure, and he's very good, I'm not sure he even falls into the category of what Pedro, uh, uh, the signing meant, and Beltran, how he was kind of the crown jewel of all that was going to go on with that team for that period. He was he's a, potentially a Hall of Famer, maybe the best positional player overall, both sides of the ball, in franchise history. And he's not Mike Piazza and what he meant to that 90s Mets team. Carlos Correa is a really good ball player. And I think what happened in the wee hours of the morning yesterday was not so much about the Mets bringing in that kind of player, like Piazza, like Pedro, like Beltran, three Hall of Famers. I'm not sure Correa is a Hall of Famer. Might be. It was more about where this franchise and this organization is at under this owner and the commitment to winning, and not just the commitment to winning. If you want to talk about you know, going to the red line in a good way as an organization, the Mets are there. 
I mean, it's about, hey, this is good, and when you think everything is good and you feel good about the Mets, he goes to the next level, and he just continues to put more and more stars smartly, you know, not just grabbing stars for the sake of stars, you know, round pegs in a square hole, but grabbing stars to give this team the even more of a chance to break their drought, to take that yoke off around their neck and to be the team that and the brand that, that we've wanted them to be for years and that they should have been. Now, what's funny is I, I wake up and I see, you know, I'm, I'm, I had no idea this happened in the middle of the night. And when I put, um, first thing I do is I get my coffee, you know, let the dogs out, do that whole thing. I go to NewYorkPost.com, NYPost.com, one of the first sites I'll go just to see what's going on in sports, the world, whatever. And I see the headline, you know, Mets signed Carlos Correa, 12 years, $350 million. I'm like, you know, you got to kind of like get that take. Like, what? what? Like, if you're in the beginnings of free agency, you kind of expect that stuff. When there's smoke and fire about a player, like when they were negotiating with DeGrom and Verlander, you were kind of expecting something good or bad to come down. With Correa, even though Cohen, and Cohen gave a, a very in-depth interview with, uh, and that was later on Saturday night after I'd come to you, with John Heyman. And at that point, it was like, wow, they were much more serious about Correa than I thought. They came in at the 11th hour. It was too late. And then I hear the day before that there's no press conference. And I know people start to say, oh, watch out. Here comes Steve Cohen. And I'm like, all right, they canceled the press conference. They saw something in the medicals. These things don't break down like this at the 11th hour. I mean, it can't. I mean, the Giants wouldn't wait. It was almost a, what, five or six or seven days, maybe eight days, since they, they had signed Correa. There's no way that the deal would fall apart. And then you wake up and you see that, and it just transforms your entire sports day. And I'm like, wow, like this is serious. I mean – I was feeling that way a few hours earlier when I heard that they were thinking about going out and trading for Liam Hendricks. And I'm like, talk about, we talked about a super rotation earlier in the offseason. Forget about a super rotation. That's a super bullpen. Now you got a super infield, maybe, or a super left side of the infield. Uh, I also thought, like, and that was the reaction I gave on Twitter when the news came down. I also thought of, like, this is like the baseball version of Billions. Now, I don't know if you guys watch Billions on Showtime. Great show. Not as great, I think, since Damian Lewis left, but it's a great show. And obviously, Damian Lewis's character, Bobby Oxrod, which we've talked about in the past, is loosely, is, is loosely based on Steve Cohen. So I'm thinking of a situation that this is the baseball. Like Here I'm putting on my writer's, my, my Hollywood hat, right? And I'm thinking of a situation. Now, Billions is like one of those shows where you'll see a scene and it'll go, well, 12 hours earlier, right? So... You see a scene where Steve Cohen is on the beach or at some resort in, you know, Hawaii, Maui, wherever he is, right? And he gets a phone call, and it's like, hey, Scott. And you don't hear what the other side is saying. What? Really? Interesting. Let's talk. And then it goes like eight days earlier, and you start the whole story where Cohen jumps in last minute. Scott Boris says, hey, can't do anything. And it goes through the whole story about Correa in a hotel with Boris. Boris sent a text message to uh, to Cohen, which is what's based on the title of the show, Correa Must. Say Correa Must came early, and away you go. So, I mean, you just – you can't make this stuff up. Uh, I know I use the, the real lazy narrative, the Darth Vader music to uh, introduce the show. In a lot of ways, I don't believe that, that Cohen is Darth Vader. I think there's a big difference, and I'll get into that. 
about what Cohen's doing with the Mets. There was a lot of similarities to what Steinbrenner did with the Yankees, specifically when he came back from suspension in the 90s. But uh, I don't think what Cohen's doing is bad, so I'll tell you why. But we'll start real quick. I mean, look, you're not going to come here and listen to this short, this talking about short right before Christmas to hear me tell you what a great player Carlos Correa is. You know that. Uh, Really good player, all-star, gold glove, a guy with the level of run creation that you see with Pete Alonso and Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor. Uh, you know, you could argue, you know, some may say he's, you know, the best uh, free agent shortstop on the market, top 10 shortstop in war last year, going to play third base, uh, you know, played third base in the World Baseball Classic. There's some highlights out there, you know, put, a, put on a show. And I don't think he would commit to well over a decade with the Mets to play a position that he knows is locked up almost as long as uh, as third base now is locked up with his buddy right next to him. I mean, this is really one of the visions that I think Cohen had a year ago when they traded for Javi Baez midseason, Lindor's buddy, shortstop. Uh, in that scenario, he moved to second. Uh, similarly, a very high-end defensive player. And you said, you know, you build him on, you know, you committed to Lindor, you married Lindor, you brought his buddy in, you commit to these two dynamic, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic players in a market that's heavily Hispanic in a diverse community. What a great way to build the foundation of the New York Mets. Like, well, guess what? You kind of did the same thing, but even better because Correa is a better player than Baez. It's a better player. He gives you the component of on-base percentage and plate discipline that Baez doesn't give you, uh, maybe even better defensively, may not have the power of a Baez, but more of a complete offensive player, gap hitter, you know, still can hit home runs, drive in runs, get on base, provide you, you know, potentially gold glove defense at third. Love Eduardo Escobar. And I still think Escobar, I wouldn't just throw him away. I mean, Correa does have this back issue. And if you look at history, I mean, he, he played 148 games in Houston his walk year in 2021, but typically he plays no more than 125 to 130 games. You're going to need someone at third for 30 to 35 games, and, you know, McNeil's going to need a blow, and, and there's the DH spot, and who knows with Ruff and what's going to happen there, and, you know, Escobar's a great right-handed hitter. So potentially you have a very $10 million, which in this market with the exploding salaries in baseball, Eduardo Escobar, kind of some kind of uh, super utility component 350 AB guy, which maybe he doesn't want 350 ABs, but that's what he's going to get on a high end here. Not a bad thing to have. Not a bad thing to have at all. What you see with this Mets lineup, and we went to, look, you want to say it's goofy and it's corny, and I'm certainly not swimming in the deep end of the analytics pool. I went to the calculator. Quickly went to the calculator. The baseball musings calculator. What does the Mets lineup look like? Just putting Correa's numbers from last year in Minnesota into the lineup with everybody's numbers from last year, throwing in Narvaez's numbers, which is very, he didn't have a great offensive year last year. So whether it's Narvaez or Nito, it's not changing things dramatically. And guess what? This shrunk the margin of error or the, or the variability of what you could expect out of the Mets offense, where we've been saying the Mets, you know, between 4.8 and 5.2 runs per game. We thought last year the Mets should be scoring five runs per game. They didn't. They had some brownouts. They had some situations where you questioned as much as they worked lineups and did a lot of good things to, you know, wear down the opposition. They lacked a little power. At times there was some brownouts and some soft spots in the lineup because of the catching spot and because of the slumping of Escobar. Now, guess what? 
there's not a wide range of variability between uh, the Mets offense. It tells you the baseball musing calculator that the Mets should average between 5.1 and 5.2 runs per game. You know, you took Nimmo out a few weeks ago when we were worried that Nimmo was going to walk. Think about that. Just two weeks or so ago, we were worried that the Mets were going to have to figure out a way to have an offense without their best run creator or one of their best run creators at the top of the lineup. Now they're adding, not from need, but from greed in a lot of ways. So there's no more, hey, the Mets might average between 4.8 and 5.2. They should be unequivocally a team that averages five runs or more per ball game. 100%. And there's no question about that. And that's what a move like this makes. But a move like this, to me, is not just changing the New York Mets. It's Steve Cohen, for the first time in franchise history, seizing the team's moment. We've talked about this. When they had the chance to have a mini dynasty with Hall of Fame pitching after 1969, they never did what they had to do to augment the pitching with the offense. They kind of languished in that, hey, we'll hang out in the mid-80s type of thing and hope to have a little bit of a run and for things to come together like they did in 1969. Gil Hodges, unfortunately, nobody's fault, passed away. So your Hall of Fame manager that could have been there and been impactful, his career was short-circuited. Whitey Herzog, who went on to have a great career managing, didn't stick around. Okay, things get really bad. You trade Tom Seaver, the 80s come into play. You win the World Series in 86. You have these young stars in Strawberry and Gooden, Dykstra, what have you. You still have veterans like Hernandez and Carter. They are at the end of their careers. But instead of leveraging that, going out, maybe building you know, around the young players. We all know the McReynolds trade, which I think you know I'm not going to get into that today. It wasn't as bad of a trade when you go back in time at that point. Hindsight, of course. But they don't even go out. They're, that's in the midst of collusion one, collusion two, collusion three. There are players like Tim Raines and Andre Dawson and, and so many other stars that you could have, Jack Morris, that potentially were going to come out into the market. Nobody was going to pay them. You could have used your checkbook back then to bring in one of those stars, kind of like what George Steinbrenner did. And they didn't. They didn't leverage that. Uh, we know what happened after the 2000 World Series in A-Rod. Even more of an example of a complete polar opposite of what's happening right now. A chance to take a team that had come out of the doldrums, that had almost won a championship, almost beat their rival across town. And at a point in time, an inflection point where you knew because the, the George Steinbrenner had seized the 96 World Series, and the momentum that the Yankees grabbed post-strike in the town of New York to steal back the next generation of fans that weren't going to be Mets fans. You have a chance to short-circuit that a little bit. What happened? They didn't take that opportunity to go after A-Rod. They went in a different direction. And not only did that generation of Yankee fans grow, it added to another generation of Yankee fans over the next two decades. 2015. Young pitching, great run into the World Series with Harvey, with Syndergaard, with DeGrom. Yeah, they brought back Cespedes, but no investment outside of that. Kind of waiting for lightning in a bottle to happen again. So another missed opportunity at that point. And that's what led us to the pandemic season, the financial woes of the Wilpons finally coming to a head, and this owner taking over. And instead of coming in and playing you know, White House politics, eh, let me just get along. He's looking around, and he's saying, you know what? I have a beautiful ballpark. I have an area around the ballpark that's ready for development. I have uh, a team in the big city. 
I've got some good bones here, some good foundation. Let me go out there and push this to the next level. Now, we all know there's no guarantees. We, all, we understand from a Mets perspective that, you know, you go since free agency, and if you want to go teams that bought championships, you know, you've got the, the clearest example, which is the 97 Marlins, the one-year wonders. Those, that's all imports, expansion team. You want to put the 2009 Yankees into it? Sure, they spent a ton of money on three big free agents. Maybe even put the 77 Yankees with Reggie Jackson. 77-70, to a certain degree, they imported stars the early years of free agency. 2013 Red Sox did some spending. So, you know, you have those examples. You know, even on a lesser scale, teams like the Nationals, as they, you know, built up with guys like Harper and Strasburg and, and some of their homegrown talent, brought in a Scherzer. Brought in a Jason Worth, but nothing like this. I think the best example of a team put together are the Marlins. There's there's a more likely chance, even with all this spending, which will very likely and highly probable, probabilistically, to talk like Billy Epler, will still not result in the end game of the, of the championship. But I guarantee you, it brings butts to the seats at City Field at a time where there's a lot of entertainment options, where we know we're 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 still unsure about the economic conditions around, you know, a lot of Americans that are going to want to go and, and, and maybe have less disposable income. What are they going to spend that disposable income on? They got to they gotta have a reason. Well, this might be a reason to go to this, go to City Field and see a fun, competitive, high-level team with stars. You know, uh, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. So he's seizing the opportunity. On top of that, on top of that, um, he's changing baseball. And how is he changing baseball? Well, I, I hear all this, you know, hand-wringing. Well, oh, the tickets, this is going to be horrible. You know, David Axelrod, that hack, you know, going out there, political consultant complaining, well, I was a Mets fan, I'll never be a Mets fan again. Axelrod, you're not a Mets fan. Shut up. You know, the people are like, oh, how am I going to afford to go to a ball game? Those are the same people. Those are the same people that want to take their brown paper bag, they want to go to the ballpark, sit in section 505 in the upper deck, and they want to be miserable and complain. That's what they want. They're never, they don't want to be happy. Because guess what? You're now at the deep end of the pool. Now there's expectations, there's pressure. And we'll talk about that at another time. Today's about Correa. Because there is no more little engine that could. Amazing and believe and all that. I know that those are foundational principles that some of you really hold near and dear, and they're not going away. They're part of history. That's not what he came in to be a little engine that could. He didn't spend billions of dollars, what, $2 billion plus dollars to be a little engine that could. He wanted to have his own version of a brand, of an entertaining brand, of a brand that played at the deep end of the baseball pool. Just instead of having pinstripes, it was orange and blue. Guess what? He wants to uh, have uh, uh, an area around that has restaurants and potentially a casino and, and some life around that dump in City Field. Guess what, David Axelrod? Politicians turned that into a dump that was a dump for 60 years. Not Steve Cohen. He's trying to fix that. Is he trying to make money? Sure. Last I look, he's not the enemy here. He's not bad for anything. And he, you know why he's not bad for baseball? Because when you go to Spotrick, and you want to go or you want to Google, uh, you know, 
European soccer players, NBA, NFL. Lionel Messi, by the way, has a $674 million contract and a $40 million, uh, $41 million a year AAV. Patrick Mahomes makes an AAV of $45 million a year playing quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. Josh Allen, up in Buffalo, $43 million a year. Russell Wilson, 48. Kyler Murray, 46. Deshaun Watson, 46. Dak Prescott, 40. Aaron Rodgers, 50-plus. I know they're not guaranteed the contracts, but you get what I'm saying. NBA, Nikola Jokic, great player. Best player in the league. Maybe the best center we've seen come around. He might go down as one of the best centers ever in the game. $54 million a year. Bradley Beal, nice player. I'm not sure he deserves to be the second-highest paid player in basketball. 50. Devin Booker, 56. Carl Anthony Towns, 56. Steph Curry, 53. So while we're sitting here saying how bad it is, the spending, all the other sports are doing it. Just two weeks ago when Xander Bogarts uh, and Peter Seidler out in San Diego set, brought Xander Bogarts in, they have Bogarts, they got Machado, they got Tatis, they trade for Soto. They were trying to get judged there. Nobody complained about San Diego. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. And you know why he's changing baseball for the better? He's just like George Steinbrenner did in the 70s. He's putting the players in another stratosphere of income. Now, they don't go from indentured servants, so to speak, to paid appropriately to a certain degree, like in 1977. But more to, hey, we're wealthy, we're well paid. But in comparison to the revenues that are in the sport and what other sports do, they're nowhere near, especially their top players, Paid in the same stratosphere. And let's face it, AAV-wise, they're still not. I mean, Carlos Correa is making $26 million a year AAV. That's $6 million more than, than Nimmo. Is there issues and, and risks with a 12-year deal? Look, I'm over that. I preached about that for a couple of years. I don't like 10-year deals. I don't want to be married to these players for so long. I think it was talked about on the MLB Network. Guess what? That's almost like deferred money at this point because it's so expensive to run a ball club 
that you need 40 players, unlike the NBA where you need 15, and the NFL where you have 50-some-odd players, but there's only a handful that are going to be in the you know the spending pool of a Patrick Mahomes, quarterbacks and wide receivers and star defensive players. So you, you could still manage it. Baseball, all of it's getting expensive. The pitchers are expensive. The closers are expensive. The all-star outfielders are expensive. So he's changing baseball. I mean, most of the free agents, the top ones, are signed, and it's not even Christmas yet. That usually doesn't happen. You know you know why there are going to be people that don't like this and think he's bad for the sport? And I saw with John Harper. I think someone said John Harper was talking to some executives who don't think Cohen would get approved if this happened today. Because it's creating pressure and accountability elsewhere. You know, the endless marketing rebuilds that all they do is line the pockets of an Ivy League executive. They may not look so cool to owners anymore. Like, hey, Cohen does that. Fans are going to say, well, I'm not going to sit around. Now, they're not expecting, you know, their team. You know, Cohen has a bankroll and, and, and he could, you know, throw some of those profits through some other businesses, the losses through some of those other businesses. We're not expecting every team to lose 100 to $200 million. But look, we spoke about this just a year ago during the lockout. Our friend Joe Casal was on the program. And he said, look, these guys are making money. They just don't want to spend it. And, he's, and there's been points made, and rightfully so, that, you know, if the Yankee payroll was X in 1977, and then you look at with inflation, it's Y, and you look at the percentage of, of everything – they're really not investing more in players. Just inflation you know, makes it bigger. The world makes it bigger. I'm not going to go into a, a deep economics lesson. I'm just giving you a very top-line thought here. So not only is Steve Cohen building the Mets brand and doing beautiful things for the Mets, and I don't want to hear about anyone complaining, whether it's a political consultant who's not a Mets fan, who's just using the, the situation as a pulpit to put himself out there on Twitter, or... You know, the Joe or Jane average fan that just wants to complain and bitch and moan all the time. Stay away from the team. You know, they, you know, last summer, we allowed that segment of the fan base to try to ruin a 100-win team on social media. The same people complaining about all of this because it's going to price them out are the same people that didn't like that they did nothing at the trade deadline. Are the same people that probably complained a month ago that they didn't go in on Aaron Judge. The same people. They're never happy. They're miserable. There's a component of them. Ignore them. Put them in the closet. Let them go hang out in the closet. Actually, tell you what, don't come to City Field. Because the last thing I need is you coming, sing a novena, when they fall behind one nothing in the first inning. I don't want you there. Because I'll tell you what, there's going to be plenty of people coming to that ballpark. And I don't think he's going to raise the prices overnight to a crazy level where you can't get a ticket. You might not be able to sit front row. You may not be able to sit in the club. But you'll be able to get a ticket and go to the ballpark. I guarantee you that. He's changing baseball for the better for the players. Making it harder for the owners and holding them accountable. Too bad. How Steinbrenner? We got to look into spending. Are you serious? The team that the media used to act like it was a mob family where George would meet with his inner circle in Tampa and order them to go out and get so-and-so. You serious, Hal? Come on. You just bought a pitcher in Rondon and Judge. 
You want to talk about spending? You want to talk about, you know, coal a couple of years ago? And I really got to tell you something. Uh, uh, how can you be angry with a guy worth $17 billion that's come in, knows he's probably going to lose some money or not make as much money as you think, and just throws caution to the wind and pumps every dollar into the team so that you as a fan and me as an analyst and a fan could have an enjoyable product to feel good about. How can you be mad about that? A guy trying to build up an area around the ballpark that is complete trash, a disgrace, a disgrace. Oh, there's going to be a casino there. I'm not a big fan of casinos, but they bring people in. You know, hopefully there's hotels and restaurants and there's going to be a soccer stadium. It'll probably take 722 years to build with New York City politics and I'll be long gone and you'll be long gone unless you have a secret that I don't, but hopefully it'll happen. Hopefully it'll happen sooner. Maybe Eric Adams wants to actually have, you know, people make some money and have some quality uh, parts of New York City. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. And Cohen's going to try to spearhead that. And he's trying to get the public involved, not just trying to jam a casino down the throat. You know, you know I, I think he's going to be inclusive. Look, and his wife is as much involved in that. And, you know, I don't see them as people that are going to be just like, oh, I'm not going to listen to what the public wants. I mean, they're, they're trying to treat this like a public trust, which is crazy because it's really, that's always been a corny narrative because it's a, a multi-billion dollar business. But they really are treating it like a public trust and pushing a ton of money into it. And throwing caution to the wind. These are risky contracts. Not so much for Lander and Scherzer. 12-year contract for a guy with a bad back that failed the physical. You know, he could be pissing away $315 million overnight. How could anybody be mad unless you have an agenda? Like a David Axelrod who's out on Twitter complaining about it. David Axelrod wouldn't know a Mets player if they fell on top of him. I promise you that. He ain't a Mets fan. That's a lie. You want to tell me the sky is green in other parts of society outside of the Mets? I won't be able to debate you on that. I'm not uh, equipped enough. The sky ain't green when it comes to the Mets and me knowing more about the Mets than you, David. I promise you that. I promise you that. The approachable billionaire. And I think the most important thing out of all this from a Mets perspective, a new generation of Mets fans are excited today. You're able to, you know, the day that Aaron Judge gets named the captain where they bring Derek Jeter out of mothballs moth across town, the Mets upstage them with a, a move in the middle of the night. I mean, nothing is more dramatic. Nothing is more George Steinbrenner than what Cohen did. I mean, this was top to top. This was Boris going to the owner. Yeah, Billy Epler got involved, and he got his guy involved and said, hey, what do you think? But he wanted this guy. And Correa wanted to play third base. You know, here we are on Saturday talking about Conforto and Drury and how can they get around the margins. And, you know, this guy's looking to get another closer maybe, a Liam Hendricks in a trade and bringing in a, a, an all-star gold-glove shortstop to play third base. I mean, it's, it is very similar to what the Yankees did with A-Rod in 04. I just don't think Correa is good as A-Rod. I think Correa is a very good player, an all-star player. I don't know if he's the hub franchise player. I didn't think Lindor was either. I mean, they don't, I mean, that, that's like an Otani type, a Trout type. That's not what you're getting, but, you know, this is a big, big move. And a year from now, 
I mean, with the way things are going and how outside of Correa and Nemo and Lindor with reasonable AAVs, I mean, maybe Lindor by today's standards, not a reasonable AAV. They could have stretched him out more. But by the way the salaries are going, they're not unreasonable. I mean, why wouldn't they be in on Otani? What makes you think that any big name now they wouldn't be in on? And you heard Justin Verlander. You know, they get on these calls with Steve Cohen. He's making them feel good about the Mets. I mean, if you there's no more proof that the damage being done, and it was self-inflicted with the old ownership with the Wilpons. But the damage that's done with the garbage and the BS in the media, with how they paint the team, with a bias, has hurt the team in recruiting players, you should hear. The fact that they get on these Zooms, Scherzer, Berlander, they're not sure they even want to be there. And then they meet Cohen, and they're signing like a couple of days later for a big contract. You got to be a special salesman to do that. You got to be a special person to pull that off. That ain't easy. Yeah, you got to have a checkbook. But Verlander would have got a big contract somewhere else. And look, it wasn't like Boris went to Cohen and said, hey, listen, it's your guy. Tell me what you want. He was bringing other teams in. Look, he had no leverage, and Minnesota's a lot different leverage than if he, you know, had the Giants, the Dodgers, the Yankees. Something will come out eventually about these negotiations as time goes on. There's more to the story. But if you read The Athletic, basically they they canceled, you know, he told the Giants, hey, blank or get off the pot here. I'm not sitting around waiting for your doctors to convene about this. I'm calling other teams and they they didn't get off the pot and he called other teams. And he basically called Cohen while he's sitting there having a martini saying, you want your guy? He's available. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that. So I don't want to hear this is bad for baseball. This is great for baseball, for the players. I mean, you've got baseball in the news in the dead of winter, NFL in the heat of their season, NBA heating up into the core of their season, college football championship not too far away, Christmas, you could, you know, it's going to be 12 degrees uh, in a day. You know, you, you're not thinking baseball. And here we are, you know, Correa's on the cover. This is what builds a sport. I, you know, you may not like hearing it, but building a sport is as much about the player movement, the drama of the player movement, and the stuff that has nothing to do with between the lines than it is about home runs, strikeouts, and what have you. And look, when I talk about you know Axelrod and, and all this stuff, I, I, I'm not I'm not criticizing him because of politics, because I don't agree with his politics or or agree with his politics. I, I would say that about anybody. I just don't like when politicians, or political analysts, like make statements like with dummies, like they do when they talk about us about real issues. And oh, I'm never going to be a Mets fan. You're not a Mets fan. I don't even. I haven't seen you at a game. You know, you may not like Bill O'Reilly, but he's a Mets fan. And I know that because you see him at the game. And I've heard him talk about the Mets, and he knows the team. David Axelrod, you know, you think he knows uh, uh, Adam Adovino and the Mets signing Adam Adovino? Adovino. Adovino. I got to get that one right. I mean, you know, I've been saying that name wrong for how long? Adovino. 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 Like wine, vino. Adovino. All right, I'm not going to take up more of your time. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Kind of came to you with a short. So much for me doing a sleepy little, you know, in between Christmas and New Year's vault show, you know, taking a break, 
Look, I'm not complaining. This is why we do this. The juice of the moment. And I actually, this is one of the few times I think I came to you late. I came to you 24 hours later because at this time last yesterday, I was like, let's chomp it at the bit. But I'm glad I did because we learned a little bit more about the negotiations. I mean, look, you know, you know he's a great player. You don't need me to tell you that. All right, I go and get my little goofy calculator. I'm like, oh, the Mets are going to average five runs a game. They're not going to be that variable of like half a run a game. All right, maybe that's something a little different that I give you that you didn't have. I think the context is this is good for the Mets. It puts the Mets in the deep end of the pool. It does come with the cost where it's going to mean a bigger financial commitment for those who patronize the team. I don't understand why anybody would think this is bad for baseball. Yeah, he's paying a tax that's the same as the payrolls of 10 of the bottom teams, but you have to start to say either he's shining light on how screwed up the system is in baseball, or he's starting to show them, hey, guys, you know, this is how you, this is how you run a team. They're getting $100 million from BAM each team for this sale. You know, they get all sorts of money for other things to put towards their payroll. He's investing with that tax back into the pool, which that'll get redistributed. They could take that and their, and their you know, 10-year rebuild marketing GMs could go buy themselves another analytics uh, group to help, you know, find the next, you know, undervalued asset. And they could have jobs forever. It'll be like the White House. It'll be like a government agency. Jobs forever. That's what you want to do with the money. Go ahead. But that probably won't put you in the playoffs. In October, when City Field is flush, you guys could all sit in your lab and figure out, you know, which AAA pitcher could be the next, you know, converted closer. That's what you can do. I'll enjoy the offseason, you know, baseball version of Billions, you know, the postseason theatrics. I'll enjoy that. You guys play fantasy baseball mogul. You guys play that. I'll be good. Axelrod, go talk about politics. Leave me alone. Leave Mets fans alone. We don't need, we don't need that element in our sports viewing. We have enough of that in real world serious issues. Boy, did I get myself in trouble today. Called out the owners, called out politicians or political consultants, made fun of Mets fans in their brown paper bag, and they're complaining about everything. Go do your novenas. You know, you don't want to come to the ballpark because you don't like the way the Mets are doing this. You want to sit around for a 10-year rebuild? You go sit around. Go root for another team. Go root for the Pirates. Please, I won't miss you. I, don't, I will not miss the novena crowd not showing up anymore. I'll be honest with you. I really got to tell you, there was a segment of the fan base, and those are probably the same people who, are, who don't like what's going on because they want to win the right way. Mets still have to build a farm system. Yeah, they can't do this in perpetuity. I mean, they can do it a lot. You have the owner, I've said this many times before, you have the owner with a new toy engaged at a level that 15 years from now, 20 years from now, he might not be or might not have the appetite. Strike while the iron is hot, and you need to spend... This team has made a lot of mistakes over the last two-plus decades. They were coming out of financial peril, more so than you even know. Because if you do a lot of research into those who really lived it, like a Howard Megdell, they were in financial peril, big time, more than you know. You don't do that and snap your fingers with a a five-year rebuild, with Heim Bloom, with David Stearns. You have to spend money to get out of it, and big money. And he has. 
and he's going to hopefully get cooperation to build up around that stadium where finally we can go to an area like they have in Pittsburgh, like they have in other parts of the country, teams that don't spend, by the way, and gather and get people excited about the Mets and and really really partake in what's good in New York City. There's a lot of bad in New York City. Partake in what's good. What's bad in New York City is not Steve Cohen's spending. There's a laundry list. There's plenty of shows you could go on and listen to what it is. You know if you live in the city what it is. It ain't what Steve Cohen's doing with the Mets. It ain't what's going to happen around City Field. There's nothing bad that comes out of this. And there's no reason why Lionel Messi should make $600 million freaking dollars and Carlos Correa can't make half of that. There's no reason why... Jokic should make $54 million, and it's a crime that Correa is making 26 because he would have made it with another team. You know, he could have went back to Minnesota. Ask yourself, why didn't he want to go back to Minnesota? It's not it's the extra $20 million, yeah, sure, but it's not like the gap was Mets 315 everybody else offered him $30 million bucks. Ask yourself that. All right, I want to thank everybody for joining me. I got on a really long, you know, monologue here. Of course, you could check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm yours, Mike Silva. Hey, I don't think there's going to be any more moves. Enjoy your Christmas. We'll be back with another Talking Mets Podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.